Welcome. It's great to have you on the, the Future of Banking podcast. For everybody everybody that's listening, we've got Jasper Erhardt, who's the SVP of Business Development at Currency Cloud. Um, delighted to have you on. And, and Currency Cloud is um, a business that I've followed for many years. I think it's had a rapid but very believable ascension to you know becoming a real fintech brand mm-hmm. um and and uh, delivering you know services that are of value not just to sort of the end user and customers but to to other businesses in the fintech space so um embedded finance is a topic we have covered previously on on the podcast in more of a a round table discussion um but i'm interested to hear that was almost that was probably six seven eight months ago now that we sort of were covering that probably um, things have already moved on quickly in that space. So I'm really, really looking forward to to your take on it and having a bit more of a, a one-to-one deep dive discussion with you. So uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, before we go into into sort of specifics, it'd be great if you could tell us just a little bit more about Currency Cloud as it as it stands today, um, and, and where the business sits in the, the fintech landscape, if you don't mind. No, of course all. Uh, so well, firstly, thanks for, for the invites. Uh, it's great to spend some time talking about fintech and uh, embedded finance. Um, so uh, looking forward to the conversation. Um, so a bit of background about, about Currency Cloud, just uh, for those who haven't heard of us. We've been around about uh, 10 years or so, and we sit pretty much at the intersection between uh, global banking services, uh, such as FX, local and cross-border payments, and uh, the fintech community. Uh, and what we do is we enable those banking services through our partners uh, by working with our uh, financial services partners to enable access to their ecosystem uh, via a single point of connect- connectivity or an API uh, for our fintech clients. Um, and our fintech clients can then build services on top of that, uh, we're totally in the background. Uh, you won't see our logo anywhere. Um, and you as a customer um, would uh, be able to use um, all those services from our banking partners. Um, so for example, uh, if you use uh, Revolut, Monzo, uh, Klarna or ASOS, um, all those services are powered by us um, in the background um, that you would then use as a consumer. It's fantastic, isn't it, to be able to get those real world use cases. I know that 15 years in fintech myself, that that's when I can get a sort of a light switch moment with my friends and family when when I explain, you know, what fintech is or why payments is such an exciting space to work in. So what what led you to to fintech? What's your journey been like in your career? What led you to Currency Cloud? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I've always been fascinated by technology, firstly, um, and how that can help uh, make life easier for us and, and, and give us and, and you know, the wider community new possibilities. Um, I've also have a very international um, European background as I came here into the UK when I was four, only speaking Italian. Um, so I've always been interested in the international flavour, so cross-border and how cross-border connections can work uh, and, a- and be enabled uh, between different countries. Um, and also I've um, always had a, an interest in finance and economics. Um, so having studied that whilst I was younger um, at university, he mix all those three together. And that's what and it really propelled me into this area. Um, starting very much in the early days of e-commerce with uh, lastminute.com, pets.com, uh, when they were front page news. And I was there working uh, in e-commerce and enabling um, uh, payments, essentially, credit card payments um, into those uh, e-commerce sites. You've not even got a twang of an Italian accent left. No. no, I'm fully embedded in the UK, <laughs> and I now um, have two passports. So. Okay. And what do you go? It's not meaning to to go off topic too soon, but obviously there's a huge um, opportunity still for fintech in sort of the southern European market, or you know across sort of Spain, Portugal, Italy, Greece. 
is that is that an area that's important to currency cloud at the moment or have you got a view on what's going on it's a slight split in terms of the speed of adoption um yeah definitely I mean, we, you know since the last the one bit I've, i missed out is that we were recently acquired by visa and so in, oh, yeah. de- in december of i last noticed year, on the logo yes uh, so in december last year we got were acquired by visa um so that's really the next the next uh, page of um you know, the next chapter, I guess, of, of our story is how do we internationalize further? Um, so started very much in the UK, now having much a European focus. And so really to, to, to answer your question, we see a lot of demand now in the, in those southern European areas. Um, so Greece uh, and you know, Greece, uh, Spain, Portugal, etc., who are now um, who are traditionally you know, a bit further behind in terms of the pace of evolution of fintechs and are now really looking to to grow their services uh, and embed that. Um, and if you think about where the natural um, intersection is, it's all in payments into Africa, payments in, into Latin America. And uh, us as part of Visa, uh, we'll be able to, uh, to, to enable that over the next few years and um, to enable those corridors and that, 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 that commerce to really grow. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a real area of growth for us, certainly. Um, that plus Asia, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting that I was um, in a recent discussion about that split between Southern Europe and, and more like the Northern Europe in terms of not just the adoption of fintech, but the, the regulation and, and how that enables it. So it'd be interesting to watch that over the, the next few years as to how that sort of adapts and maybe leapfrogs um, some of the potential pushback on embedded finance straight into it because it, it lends itself well to the way the markets are going. Yeah, yeah it's true. Um, Re- regulation is the last frontier. So yeah. te- technology, you can solve through technology, but uh, regulation always takes a bit longer. Mm. Um, and, and then that, that brings us into my next question, which is what, what do you think are the most important things? Talking about financial services in general, you know, broadening it out from the idea of Im- embedded finance. What are the big topics that sort of excite you or, or what do you think are the most important considerations? I mean, at the moment, um, from sort of the media landscape and the discussion, which there's everything from, you know, the hyper valuations through to, you know, the regulatory landscape, there's, there's everything going on. So what, what, what do you think are the most important things to consider or what should the fintech, land, fintech industry be focusing on? Um, well, I see they're going to... If you pick out all the different topics out there, I see kind of four, four key ones um, that are continuing to drive the evolution. Um, one is always how can you make things uh, and access to financial services more frictionless um, and more user-friendly? And that's both for consumers um, and those also using the product from a corporate point of view. So enabling that and that and it, it, innovation can drive that, the ability to access those services in a more frictionless way. Um, and if you expand that a bit further, then you know you, you have the topic of you know, how to bank the unbanked. So tr- where, where traditional financial services companies um, aren't able to offer their service to, to the unbanked, you know how can you extend services using technology, um, using using fintech, you know, the fintech know-how um, to extend in, you know, financial services into areas where traditionally you can't do that. So you know mobile phone financing. Um, and, and payments in Africa uh, and in Asia, for example. Um, so those, those are still areas that are to be solved um, and areas where there's opportunity. And I guess some of those have been on the agenda for a while, haven't they? You know, some of them, you know, around um, frictionless financial inclusion. Are we, are we making progress and, and where are we making progress and why are we not perhaps completely solving some of these, these issues yet, in your opinion? Yeah, that's a good question. Absolutely. I think the, you know, I mentioned just uh, before um, regulation. So regulation is, you know, is, is 
is needed and to enable financial services to, uh, to be um, enabled in communities in the right way uh, using the rule of law, um, but also it's, it slows down uh, innovation. And what's coming in uh, you know, full force um, against regulation is blockchain. And you think about Bitcoin, uh, not Bitcoin, uh, the asset, but Bitcoin as a settlement mechanism. So like a Visa or a MasterCard, you now have the ability for, um, for me to send you the other side of the world um, money, fiat money, um, so pounds, pence, uh, dollars uh, in real time. Um, so if you're, let's say, in Australia, I can send you Australian dollars. I've got pounds, send you Australian dollars in real time using Bitcoin, the settlement network, um, uh, to enable that transaction. And that transaction costs 4p. And you get that money straight away in Australian dollars in this, in this case. So you have the innovation in technology, which is, which is uh, continuing apace and which is uh, providing a, you know, a real challenge. And then you still have the regulatory aspect, which is still to catch up. Um, so those are the, the real high, you know, the, the, the real high-level um, things that are happening, and they're really pushing things um, in, in different directions. And I guess sometimes um, it takes a real, a real-world event, doesn't it, to, to to push these things as well? As we've seen with um, throughout the, the ongoing pandemic, um, that that real need for um, acceleration in certain services. You know, I hate the use of, of the, I'm tired now, and especially with sort of our comms and our, our media outreach that we do, I try to avoid that post-pandemic phrase now, that almost feels old, mm-hmm. um, but post-COVID, but it has impacted um, financial services industry and how that's used greatly and, and accelerated some change. Do you think that's been a, a bit of a catalyst for embedded finance? The need for you know that that what, what's it the, the phrase is it covidpreneurs more innovative businesses sort of getting online and adapting yeah i think so it's it, it certainly um, accelerated certain trends that have already been there so working from home uh, or hybrid model which i think most of us are now working towards at least uh, the white uh, us white collar workers um have the ability to do that and i think it's also given you know, those those two years has given people time to think and to innovate, uh, whereas before they were just um, uh, caught up in 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 the BAU. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, in 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 travel payments, an area that we're involved in, um, there's the traditional model um, is where the the airline or the hotel they end up paying for the transaction, uh, and they give a kickback via the the networks Visa Mastercard to the travel agent who end up um, you know. Um, are getting revenue from that uh, from that uh, particular transaction. Um, and there are new models now which are more blockchain based um, and more instant payments based, which are challenging those models. And that's just one area of innovation that that we've seen over the last uh, last two years in terms of payments. Um, yeah. And that's just uh, going to accelerate. I think the pace of change is just going to accelerate um, over the next few years. And I mean, obviously, well, well shortly we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of under the, the hood of embedded finance, but it's certainly as a, from an external point of view, emerged as a real buzz term. And you look at the back end of last year, it was all of the experts, the sort of analyst groups were saying, what are the trends going to be for the next, you know, one to three years? What's going to happen? It was all embedded finance, embedded finance. Mm-hmm. But perhaps I'm interested on in your take. Why, why has it become sort of a buzz term, and how do we separate that buzz term from like the real world? This is what embedded finance does, because you almost say a term so much sometimes that you think, okay, but what what does that enable? What does that mean? So, what's your view on it? Yeah, so it's a it's a good question. So, 
I think if you, if you, let's put it into context historically. Um, I see embedded finance as just the next evolution of technolo technological change that's been happening um, since the early 90s uh, when you know, the internet first came to prominence. If you, look, if you follow the timeline through and the, the, the main thread being technology. So yeah, in the early 90s, you had you know, the, the browser wars, we had uh, AOL, we had Mosaic, if you remember that name, Netscape. Yeah. Um, then you had the rise of the internet um, you know, more prominently with, with Google that really pushed uh, through um, internet information to, uh, connectivity. Then you had the whole wave of e-commerce, as I mentioned, lastminute.com, pets.com, mm -hmm. Amazon. Um, and then, you know, looking more recently, we've got post-2008, um, after the, the last financial crash, you had the rise of blockchain, and then Bitcoin was born on the, on the back of that. Um, and so you have, you know, the, you know, the next evolution, which is, you know, breaking, breaking down those barriers between uh, the traditional financial world and, and access to it. Um, you have you know, underpinning that since 2008, really, is it, you have a lot of cheap finance, um, so a lot of VC money. Um, that um, that is there uh, to help fuel innovation, um, which the latest wave is embedded finance. You're now at a stage where you can really um, hide um, the traditional financial players who whose important important role is to provide um, the regulated um, uh, pipe essentially to the to the global financial system, and then you have on top of that the fintechs um, who can enable that, and they're the ones who um, are. Yeah, they're kind of the marketing arm or the customer acquisition arm um, of uh, the financial world. And so you have the, the, the marriage of two equals now that um, brings the best of both worlds. You have innovation driven by the fintechs, mm -hmm. and then you have um, you know, the global financial infrastructure um, that's secure in the back through the traditional uh, financial players. So then um, would you say that sort of embedded finance as a term is, is quite a good way of packaging up and marketing um, a certain type of innovation to the investors, to the partners and banks, and then even to if you're somebody that happened uh, to sell to end users or to small businesses, online innovators. So you've kind of got, it's a way of sort of packaging up different ways of offering financial services. It's been it's done a good job of promoting itself with that term. Yeah, it's, it's a nice buzzword, um, but yeah. it, you know, it, there's, there's substance beneath it because you know, yeah. we've seen that shift uh, as I mentioned, you know those different ways of innovation, and the late, where we are now is um, again the, the fintechs driving um, the market, you know, the marketing and acquisition. And I think that you know if you go back ten years or so, uh, the traditional uh, traditional financial you know, financial services um, uh, ecosystem uh, sort of fintechs is a threat, um, and whereas now it's much more, uh, it's very much more symbiotic, and everyone's. Um, happy pretty much with our role in the ecosystem and everyone gets to play and everyone has a role and also you know, importantly an ability to you know, to make profit and to build businesses yeah that that narrative of fintechs versus banks has sort of started to dissipate hasn't it it's sort of started to think about the ecosystem as a whole and it's you know now it's obvious that that's not going to happen and they you know fintechs and banks need each other um, yeah they, they have different dna as you know yeah right? so the, the, the because, you know, being a bank, you need a certain type of person, uh, and it, you know, it's a large organization, slower moving, um, but it's highly regulated. Uh, it's a solid. It has uh, its connection to the to the um, global banking you know, and payments ecosystem. The fintechs are, you know, by their very nature, innovative, and the ones that you know, at the forefront and customer facing. And those two are very, are very, very different types of DNA. And what you know, you can't be, you can't be both. I don't think effectively uh, nowadays. So, so then in terms of um, 
the role between um, in traditional banks, I know you've touched upon it, but the role between traditional um, financial services providers and um, the end user, whether that be ultimately a consumer or a small business or an enterprise, what, what specifically do embedded finance providers deliver? You know, going a little bit under the hood, what, what is it in real terms that gets delivered that wouldn't been offered, that the banks couldn't do? Or what would be, if I rephrase the question maybe a little bit, what's, if, it, if embedded finance providers just disappeared off the face of the earth tomorrow, what would we be missing out on? We'd be miss, we are missing out on a, a user-friendly service. Uh, if, you, if you imagine trying to, you know, if you talk to a uh, millennial or Gen Z um, and talk about uh, Facebook or we talk about Lloyds Bank, um, then you know, then you stay, they stay back and you know, uh, they stay back. You say, you know, uh, say now I understand, uh, understand what these companies are still there for. You know, Facebook is now uh, pivoting to become you know, Meta and, and, and working with Metaverse. Um, a Lloyds Bank is you know, it's still still around, but it's not a bastion of innovation. So you people you have obviously companies like Revolut, Monzo, Starling that um, are now at the forefront. And so what they provide is that 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 frictionless user service, the ability to bundle together lots of disparate um, uh, services, uh, not just banking, uh, but also um, you know, alternative finance, your crypto. Um, you have app, app, app lounge access, a whole wide variety of different things that you can bundle into into one uh, into one package and enable that for the consumer. So that's what you'd miss. That's what banks aren't able to do. They aren't able to innovate quickly and really have really be, really be at the forefront of what a consumer wants or the drive to drive change. And I guess digging, pushing a little bit harder on that question, I know that the strong use is for embedded finance. You mentioned in the travel sector, in you know HR or benefits space perhaps even in the sort of um, property or real estate industry and even healthcare you know that especially that's a very disparate sector with lots of different um sort of moving parts and stakeholders in you know in, in national and regional trusts what in the human sense of the word what are we delivering by you know it's a quite a responsibility for the fintech space especially in in tough times to to be doing these things what does that mean for for a human being on a day-to-day basis and getting warm and fuzzy thinking about you know the good things that that finance uh, improved access to finance can do you've got any examples or thoughts on it yeah you know, if, you know for example marketplaces um marketplaces again another buzzword they, they five years ago marketplaces weren't, weren't really around you maybe had ebay but now you have um, hundreds of marketplaces all over the world and you, the ability to, to have a marketplace, if you, if you think about the different components, um, all the accounts you have to open, all the flow of funds um, from the you know, from the parent to all the child accounts, um, all the international payments and settlements, all the FX. If um, you know, take about five years, you couldn't uh, enable that um, because the digital banking system um, isn't innovative enough to to uh, to enable that in a cost-effective way. So you have now people like Currency Cloud and others. Who can deliver those services behind the scenes whereby your marketplace seller can open up an account you know within five minutes um you can accept payments um you can you can uh, have fx your fingertips you can send money anywhere in the world um straight away and all that um through a single user interface and uh, single accessibility so again you, you know back to my point previously you're, you're giving the ability for again new companies to be formed um you're giving uh, access to um, to people who previously didn't have access to these kind of services so you know i can go and sell something on amazon or etsy or um, or asos 
um, as, a, as, a, as an individual, um, that wasn't available five, 10 years ago. And all that's and, you know, under the hood, there's a huge amount of complexity, mm. which only a fintech um, um, can enable. Um, but behind the fintech sits the you know, banking and payments um, infrastructure, which is powered by the traditional financial services players. So you need both to deliver yeah. new services. About that sort of leveling up of um, you know different sorts of businesses from a digital perspective. So if you like, say if you're a if you're a sole trader or somebody delivering um, bespoke products and services, if you can get the same um, customer experience by using a marketplace than somebody, you know, than a large corporate retailer, then you're you're having that opportunity to be in control of your own life and generate a, a revenue and a living for yourself that wasn't there before. Well, looking at it from the other perspective then so that's sort of going down to the how the consumer or the, the small business might benefit what's the what's it like trying to as a fintech provider trying to integrate to a large fi or bank what's it like trying to deliver these services obviously we'll take it as granted that you know currency cloud does a great job and has some fantastic partnerships and supports some of the biggest fintechs and um, banks in the world what but what's it like you know is it easy going if, if we come a long way as there are, we touched on the fact that the competition element is sort of dying off but you know you're taking that complexity away from um the banks and from the businesses but what's is that what's that like as a fintech to go through those hoops so it works or is it easy no, it's never easy um, no. um but we you know again we're, we're there to try and take the that friction away i mean banks are necessarily difficult to deal with uh, because they're highly regulated and have to be uh, and and that's the, and that's their role you know they, they guard people's money and so dealing with that and and especially the regulatory side is is as you know, tough it takes time it takes you know a whole team of people to to work through and enable from you know there's lots of different different parts that's obviously the, the, the technology part how do you how do you um api into a bank and how do you keep and how do you keep that um that as automated as possible because um, we're all about trying to automate, take friction out of the system, speed payments up, make things as real time as possible. So there's technology side, which always needs to be worked on. Um, as, as, as the banks change their APIs, we need to change our APIs. Then there's obviously you know, the whole legal team and compliance team. Um, so banks regularly change um, their view on compliance. So one day this area of finance can be fine, or you know, the, these type of merchants can be fine the next day. And they don't want to take that on. So we you have to be able to be able to pivot very quickly um, and also have an ecosystem of partners, uh, banking partners um, that will enable you to cover as much of the market as possible if one bank changes their mind and the, the, risk, the, the risk profile of their, their compliance department. So that involves a lot of people from the legal team, compliance team, as well as technology team, bring that all together in a coordinated way, um, like a swan um, paddling furiously uh, enabling that within a seamless way to the fintechs who then all they do is they plug in into us um, with you know, a single point of connectivity to enable those services and we're in the back um, fixing things as we go. And what's your view I mean on open banking I know that's sort of um, an easy question for me to ask but you know since the back end of last year when Amboden and Starling Bank sort of said it's not worked you know it's and sort of cast doubt on it everybody's you know started to to take a stab or have a view it's hitting you know it's key topic at events like money 2020 this year so you know is is the success of embedded finance um linked intrinsically is it an alternative is it what's the your view on it that 
I think that they, they both go together. It's not an either or. Um, and if you think about you know, what the, you could think about things in different timelines. Um, so if you think about has has open bank banking succeeded or failed depends on what your timeline is. It's, it's like the debate we had with 3D Secure when that first came in, mm. um, and and you saw the friction there, or with you know, tap it's and still go there payments. though, isn't it? As well? It is still there, um, but in a more efficient way. Or yeah. tap and go. You know, if you remember, you know, tap, tapping to to get into the tube, that was innovative. Mm. The Oyster card uh, back then, and that took a while to get to to, uh, to get embedded. I think it was the Olympics um, that actually. TfL adopted it for the Olympics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that was it. Yeah. So you need, you need certain drivers. Um, uh, but also think about open banking. What it is you're trying to get 27 countries, the EU plus plus the UK, to work together uh, and to agree on something. It's, you know, it's, it's hard enough to get 27 family members to, to agree on something. Try you know, 20, 27 countries uh, with different laws, um, different views on things, different regulatory um, uh, tastes um, and, and, and different paces of, of evolution. So it's it's hard um, and it'll take time. But it, uh, no doubt in five years' time, we look back and you'll see uh, a huge change. So I think they're definitely a, it's part of the future. Uh, I think we're still very, very much uh, in the early stages of it, um, even yeah. though we're a few years down the line. Yeah. Um, and, and in terms of sort of big banks and big tech, uh, maybe more big tech, you know, we've just seen Apple launch by now, Apple by now, pay later, their version of that. Um, they see the success and the opportunity in the fintech space. And there's, um, it's always a sort of a looming threat. Do you think the same when it comes to the embedded finance portion of the market that, that is, or is it not going to work for big tech? I think there will be, there'll be certain, there are certain companies that will make it work. I think, I think Apple will want, um, they've, they've got a great track record at, um, enabling that um, you know, with Apple Pay. But Apple Pay, again, it's taking time, right? So you know, over the long period, I think they will make it work. Um, there are others, um, you know, I'm, less, I'm less certain, will make it work because they don't have the, ex- the skill set. Um, you know, I think Google have always tried, tried to work with payments but uh, in, different, in different ways, but I don't think that, that's too far away from their core competency. Um, so yes, some, some will make it happen um, and, and some won't. Um, uh, Facebook have got marketplaces, um, for example. They tried to launch um, a, a currency and that didn't go anywhere, um, as we know. Um, so, and you know, but also look at Twitter. Twitter's Twitter embedded um, global remittance via um, the, the Bitcoin yeah. uh, yeah, Lightning Network. So they've got they've, they've got ability to to reach it. So some will, some uh, some won't. But um, you know, I think certainly. You know, still the fintechs in prime position to, to live these kind of services and hope i guess you've got to think hopefully it's all just improving the service eventually to the businesses and end users that need it a little bit of you know the fact that it's yeah, such it a rich market and oh, even though i know we're seeing it like the, the the reality of a bit of a slowdown in terms of the funding it's still such a one of the most um funded and exciting global markets so it's oh, it expected. is expected I mean, Payments, cross-border payments—it's you know, market opportunities in the trillions, mm-hmm. and we're still we're still very much in the foothills of, of that. Uh, you know, yeah. us and, and Apple and um, you know, the fintechs plus uh, plus big tech, and we're still, you know, there's still plenty pl- plenty of opportunity there for uh, for us all. So, so that I guess that brings me quite quite neatly onto sort of two fi- two final questions. Uh, one is, um, you know, we've just got through the sort of summer conference season. We're just coming to the, the 
the end sort of of it before we go into the autumn season embedded fintech is a term that you know i've been picking up on as a, as if that's a, you know a huge difference from embedded finance is that something you've been hearing around or is something that you think differentiates or is it just another you know is it just a step away from the the sort of buzzword that people sort of becoming a bit numb to or what's the difference yeah i mean i've started hearing it around um you know again there's to whistle earlier i suppose the difference is that you know embedded finance is where you know is the integration center of financial services into non-financial websites um, and you know, mobile applications and business processes. Whereas embedded fintechs is where you embed fintech products and services into existing financial institutions. Um, so they they have new product sets um, um, that they that they would enable. Um, so, for example, if you go to a bank, something like a bill negotiation service or subscription management or data breach and identity protection, wealth transfer management or crypto investing, uh, all those are. All those you know, traditional banks and fintechs, banks, should I say, are looking to embed those into their offering. Um, whereas embedded uh, finance is the other way around, where you have non-financial yeah. players embedding financial services. You, thank you, because you've really cleared, really cleared that up for me. I feel working in space, I should know, but I feel it's just a term that started to emerge and you know, getting yeah. your head around what the difference is. So thank, thanks for that. Um, and then um, coming into the thinking about the future, you've you made some great points and you, you've mentioned that the opportunity even just for in terms of payments and transactions it's in its trillions we've talked about a little bit about the opportunity in southern europe still and then further afield in asia and latin america what's uh, we, we've even touched upon sort of the the minutiae of some um emerging on online sectors such as um marketplaces which is still growing healthcare travel what what's next then for where's Im- embedded finance going to go what embedded fintech finance is going to go that's a, that's a good question so i think the you know i think for me, i just see a more acceleration of, of the current trend um as i mentioned before the, the biggest um hurdle will always be regulatory um which will provide friction um because technology is already enabling us to be international real time and it's just uh, the regulatory aspects that, that needs to catch up. Um, you have APIs that are ruling the world, essentially. And then we also have, um, we're coming pretty much to the end of um, the current economic cycle. Um, so you're seeing at the start of that, over the next two, three years, we'll have you know, a, a few things changing um, and lot, you know, a lot of challenges I think we'll, we'll, we'll all face. But you know, post that, um, I think the big things to think about are new forms of currency. So you have central bank digital uh, digital coins um, that will start to emerge uh, and enable instant payments. Um, and we're interested to see where the banks play in that because it, the cent- it will be a central bank that enables that money and you could see the banks being disintermediated there. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. Um, and then of course you have you know new currencies um, like Bitcoin, which has very different properties from fiat, uh, which you can print at will. And which has been, which we should be able to see, where we can't print more Bitcoin. Um, I think that will have a role to play, um, both Bitcoin the asset as well as Bitcoin the settlement network that I mentioned before. Um, and I think also we we'll just be, you know, to continue the trend, we we'll just be more, more embedded and more instant services. Um, and you know, from my perspective, looking, um, looking optimistically ahead, um, I think there'll be more access. More people will have more access. To traditional financial services, um, those who are currently unbanked, um, they'll have the ability to, uh, to do that in, in lots of different ways. Which is what we want. 
Um, and final question, do you think we'll stick with the term embedded finance or do you think it'll end up just being, you know, finance? Or do you think we'll stick to embedded well, finance? I think, well, I think embedded finance is here, is here for a few years um, yeah. and then there'll be a new buzzword. Um, but I think embedded is here, it's here to stay. It'll yeah. just be, as you say, it will just become finance. It'll just be the normal way of doing things yeah. um, seamlessly. Um, and then there'll be the next wave of the technological change um, that will help drive things um, through to um, to the next level. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I think it's a topic that still um, many people in the industry and outside of the industry are still just getting to grips with where it sits and how it plays out in the real world. And I think for me, I've learned something um, more than something today from talking to you. So thank you so much for joining us. Is there any, have you got any closing comments or or anything you wanted to, to mention that we haven't touched upon yet? Yeah, thanks. You know, again, uh, thanks for the opportunity. It's been great to to sit down and discuss things with you. Um, I think maybe the last the last thing I'd like to say is I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic about the future. Um, you know, even though the next two three years are going to be very challenging for us, and beyond that, um, I see you know huge opportunity um, through into the next the next business cycle, a new way of um, of us uh, accessing financial services um, and for us to be able to um, as individuals um, uh, to grow. Um, our own you know, our assets and our own our own little pot, uh, both for ourselves and uh, and for our families. Um, there's more opportunity to do that than there is now. Um, once we're through the next two or three years, right? And I think it's so important to bring things down to that. You know, we don't want to be stuck in that fintech financial services echo chamber, do we? So it's so great to you know to bring it back down to why we're all doing it, really. Yeah, exactly. So.